thank you for being in church on Wednesday night. It says a lot about you. And I know it's hard. I know there are some that aren't here tonight that wish they could be here tonight. And I know Pastor wishes he could be here, but he and Sister Hughes have taken a well-deserved break. They need that. And I'm excited that he's given me the opportunity to step into the pulpit tonight. And I'm excited about what God is doing in our lives. Turn to your neighbor and say, hold on to the ship because he's going to rock the boat tonight. All right. Now, I might not get another chance to preach after I preach what I'm going to preach tonight. But I'm doing it out of the presence of the Lord and out of the spirit of the Holy Ghost. I'm not trying to come with something new and creative. I'm not trying to come with something general conferency. I'm not trying to come with something that's just going to shock and awe. I just have a lot of questions. And when I begin to open the word of God, and the word of God begins to speak into my life as I read it, there's things that begin to just bubble in my blood and my mind. And so tonight I'm going to step out on the limb a little bit. And I'm going to share with you what I feel God has given me. And I want to pose a question to you. I want to pose a question. What was Peter's true motive? The name of my sermon tonight is going to be that thy faith fell not. And after I'm done here, I'm hoping and I'm praying that somebody will respond to the Holy Ghost. And that you will understand that you're on a divine mission from God. And that God has called you for a specific purpose for your ministry. And I want to encourage somebody tonight to not give up. I want to encourage somebody tonight to not look at all the things that are nipping at your heels. But I want you to get your eyes up a little bit. And I want you to see beyond what's in front of you. I want you to see things through God's eyes. And so tonight we're going to try a little, a few things differently. I'm not going to start the sermon with a scripture. So you may be seated. My scripture is going to come at the end of the sermon. And I pray that you would stay with me. Lord, you know my true heart and my true desires. And I pray tonight, God, that you would anoint these lips of clay. God, your word is already anointed. And I need your help right now, Jesus. And that your anointing would be in this house Lord, we worship you and we magnify you in your holy name. I'm going to move quick, so stay with me. Got a lot of scriptures. I probably won't go into the detail of where the scripture's at. If you want to know where the scripture's at, come to me after service. I'll give you the details. I want to briefly go over a quick outline of the life of Peter to set the stage for my boat rocking view that I will share with you in a brief moment. The Apostle Peter may have been the most outspoken of the 12 disciples. In fact, I, I would almost, after reading and studying the scriptures, would, would say that he definitely was the most outspoken of all the disciples. He certainly became one of the, the, the boldest witnesses for faith, but, he, but his beginnings were really humble and simple. He was born about 1 B.C. and died sometime around A.D. 67. Peter was originally named Simon when he came to Jesus, but at the very moment that he met Jesus, Jesus was the one that changed Peter's name. Peter means rock, or literally Petra. 
Little did Peter know that God was giving him a glimpse into the future by giving him the name of Peter because in Matthew 16 and 18, Jesus states, Upon this rock will I build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He was a Galilean fisherman and was the brother of Andrew. The brothers came from the village of Bethsaida. Peter was married. A lot of people didn't know that Peter was married because in Matthew 8 it states that Jesus went to Peter's house and he healed his wife's mother. He was also a follower of John the Baptist. Actually, Andrew was the follower of John the Baptist and introduced Peter to, that, to this so-called crazy gospel. He, was, he, 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 was, he and his brother were close. Peter, like all humans before their calling to Christ, was a sinful man. In fact, he was ashamed in Luke 5 and verse 6 and 8. He was ashamed of his sinfulness in the presence of Jesus Christ. Peter was the very first disciple that Jesus called along with his brother Andrew. Peter left his career as a fisherman to follow Jesus. Fishermen at that time were, were, were gruff. They were unkept, unkempt. They were shabbily dressed. They, they, they often used vulgar language. The fishermen of the, of the first century were what I guess you would call a man's man. They were full of, of vigor and, 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 and had boisterous tempers. And, and this was perhaps why James and his brother John were called the sons of thunder. Theirs was a rough life since fishing was a very physically demanding job. They must have been somewhat fearless too because many times on the Sea of Galilee, out of nowhere, storms would arise and easily capsize their 20 to 30 foot boats that they used for fishing. Peter was always putting his foot in his mouth. But one thing you could say about Peter was that when Jesus told them, Peter and Andrew, to follow me, they simply walked away and left everything they had without a second thought. Consider the fact that this meant they left everything. They left all of their boats. They left all of their nets. Everything that was of value and, and, and gave them the ability to make money, they turned and walked away from it. According to the word of God in Matthew 10, Peter was the first disciple called by Jesus. And he was frequently their spokesman for good or bad. One thing that he was credited with is the special insight that he had concerning Jesus' identity. Because Peter was the first to call Jesus the son of the living God, the Messiah. When Jesus called him, Peter knew that he was God and he felt unworthy to be in the presence of the Lord Almighty. Even so, Jesus did not hesitate. And he told Peter and Andrew that he would make them fishers of men. Peter was there when Jesus performed his first miracle and he turned the water into wine at the wedding. Peter was the only disciple to cry out to the Lord, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come unto thee. 
and Peter stepped out of the boat and began to walk on the water. Peter, the experienced fisherman, was the, was the one that Jesus, the lonely carpenter, told to cast his net on the other side of the boat. And he obeyed him. And then it says, when he found out that it was the Lord that told him that, he jumped out of the boat and he began to swim to shore because he wanted to see his Jesus. He wanted to talk to his Jesus. The previous statements were only a brief, a brief glimpse in the love and the life that Peter had for Jesus. But don't mistake in that, that Peter loved Jesus. Peter lived to be with Jesus. But I had said all this to bring us up to a point in time to the arrest of Jesus Christ. At the same time, the tragic drama of the Savior's inquisition unfolded inside of the palace of the high priest. Another drama was being played out outside of the, of the palace. There, the apostle Peter endured an inquisition of his own. When the other disciples fled as Jesus was being arrested, Peter followed his master and the arresting party. Afar off into the high priest's palace, Matthew 26. This palace seems to have housed the residents of both Caiaphas and, I'm not sure how to say this, Annas. And how do you say that, Landon? A-N-N-A-S. Annas, another high priest, before whom Jesus was arranged, for, arranged, arraigned first. And keeping with his presentation of unique details, John adds that Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple a lot of times you forget that the other disciple followed jesus who was known unto the high priest this disciple went into the palace first with jesus and eventually spake unto her that kept the door and brought in peter he talked the keeper of the door into opening the door for peter and Peter became, came in. John 18 tells you all about that. It is not known who the other disciple was, but many scholars believe that it was John himself that was, that was in cahoots in the high priest's chambers. Given that Matthew and Mark clearly state that at some point Peter sat without in the palace, or, or, or opener was beneath, in, in other words, he, he entered into the palace through the basement. That's where the door was, was, was open for him. You can find that in Mark 14. It's likely that Peter was first admitted to Jesus' arraignment before Ananias when he was being charged by Annas and later sat out in the courtyard while his master's next hearing before Caiaphas took place in another part of the palace. This detail of the Bible goes well with the archaeological evidence of a courtyard set down the hill below the main palace complex. The traditional and probable accurate location of the high priest's palace is high above the Hinnom Valley on the west hill of Jerusalem. Then, at, at that time, was inside the city walls, and later known as Mount Zion. A fourth century traveler to Jerusalem, nicknamed the Pilgrim of Bordeaux, said, in the same valley of Siloam, you go up to Mount Zion and you see the site where the house of Caiaphas stood. In the fifth century after Christ, a church was built on the site 
And the Crusaders later named it, man, all these tough names, Gallicantus, which translate the crock, the cock crew. In modern times, a dungeon, scourging room, courtyard, artifacts, and many Hebrew inscriptions have been unearthed on this very site that are consistent with biblical and historical descriptions of the residence of judicial functions of the high priest. In other words, this is where it all took place. As Peter sat beside a fire in the palace courtyard, waiting to hear what was going on, awaiting word regarding the ultimate fate of his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, one of the servants of the high priest's household approached him. Mark's account of this scene is similar to the other synoptic gospels. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, Are thou also, and thou also wast with Jesus of Nazareth? But he denied, saying, I know not, neither understand I what thou sayest. I don't know what you're saying, woman. And he went out into the porch, and he heard the cock crow. And a maid saw him again and began to say to them that stood by, Hey, this is one of them. This is the one. But he began to curse, and he denied And a little after that, they stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, thou art the Galilean, and thou speech agreeth thereunto. And he began to curse and swear, saying, I know not the man of whom you speak. And the second time the cock crew, and Peter called to mind the word of Jesus unto him. Before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. And when he thought thereon, he wept. In Mark 14, John's account, though shorter, adds an interesting detail. One of the servants of the high priest began being his kinsman, whose ear Peter had cut off in the Garden of Gethsemane, said, Did I not see thee in the garden with him? Peter denied again, and immediately the cock crew. Apparently, this kinsman was the eyewitness both to Peter's attack on his relative, Malchus, and to Peter's intimate association with Jesus Christ in the garden. To fully appreciate the significance of this exchange between Peter and his accusers, we need to go back to the events of the Last Supper several hours before. In the upper room... The Savior describes to his apostles their reaction to events that were about to burst forth upon the scene. Jesus says, all ye, all of you guys are going to be offended because of me this night. You're all going to be offended. But Peter protests and he said, though all men shall offend, be offended because of thee, yet I will never I will never be offended of you, Jesus. Matthew 26, read it for yourself. Jesus' specific response to Peter teaches us a profound lesson tonight. Stay with me. Especially in light of the confidence Jesus had in Peter's faithfulness and his potential. He knew that Peter possessed. 
He knew that this, this was the rock I was going to build my church on. Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. The thought that any prayer offered by the Savior would not come to pass, nor any prediction of his, not, uh, of his not be fulfilled is unthinkable. Peter's faith would not fail. Though he had a deeper conversion yet to experience, he hadn't quite had the full conversion yet, but he had something deeper that was in the future that he had to experience. The text of all four Gospels indicate that even up to that point, Peter still did not fully comprehend the earth-shaking events soon to take over the Savior and the entire early church. Again, the Savior patiently tried to teach Peter of things that must shortly come to pass. He was trying his best to show Peter and to teach Peter and the disciples as much as he could because he knew, he knew the time was running out. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, where the thou goest? Where, where are you going, Jesus? Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou cannot follow me, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter saith unto him, Lord, why can't I follow you? Why, why can't I follow you right now? I want to go with you now. I lay, I lay down my life for you. I lay down my life for thy sake. Now this is where some of you might ban me from the church. But I'm going to tell you something that's haunted me my whole life. And I believe Jesus has given me an answer for me. I'm so glad Dr. Hughes is not here tonight. Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down your life for my sake? Will you lay down your life for me, Peter? I believe that Jesus wasn't necessarily talking about Peter giving up his physical life and dying. But I believe that Jesus was saying, Peter, will you set aside your personal agenda for me? Peter, I know that you are bold. And I know that you're not afraid. I know that. I've seen it in action. But Peter, will you set your personal agenda aside for me for just a little bit. Will you lay aside your cares for a while and will you see things through my eyes and look at the bigger picture here, Peter? Quit looking. Peter, quit looking at the things that are right around you and, and open your eyes, son. Try to see what I'm showing you. Try to see what I'm telling you. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. Peter was never one to shrink from danger. And we cannot doubt that at the, at the moment, and all the moments before it and after it, Peter would have forfeited his life for the master. I believe that wholeheartedly. 
I believe that he would have he would have died for his masters. Stay with me just a little bit. Stay with me. I know where I'm going here. Peter would have given up his life, but that was precisely the problem. Peter might recklessly have laid down his life for Jesus when something different was needed and intended by the Savior altogether. After the Last Supper concluded, events moved along as the apostles followed Jesus to the Garden of Gethsemane. When the Savior finished praying the same prayer for the third time, the police force of the Jerusalem temple appeared. Ready to arrest Jesus, Peter drew his sword and became embroiled in the events we have already discussed. it's, It's important to remember that Peter's selfless act of protection was done in the fact, in the face of an armed mob and armed police who could have easily overwhelmed this chief apostle. The action, that action that Peter did is in complete harmony with everything else we know about Peter. It fit right along with everything that happened with Peter. Even when all the other disciples fled Jesus' arrest, Peter followed afar off and ended up confronting the two women and the man who accused him of associating with Jesus. What gives us pause at this point in consideration of Peter's motivation for denying that he knew the master? Why? Help me, Holy Ghost. Why did Peter deny him? That question has haunted me all my life. I never understood why a man that lived and talked with Jesus on a daily basis and did so many miracles and was such a prominent advocate for Jesus Christ would abandon him at the very moment that seemed that Jesus seemed to need him most. It didn't fit. Why would this man that had been in so many of the preachings and so many of the miracles with Jesus, why would all of a sudden he deny Jesus Christ? I'm going to give you my personal opinion tonight. The, 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 The usual reasons given range from fear of personal harm to weakness, to embarrassment, to pride, to indecision, or to some other flaw or weakness in Peter's character. Yet these reasons, and all the reasons I've heard all my life, seem to contradict everything else, everything else that we have read about the chief apostle in the New Testament, including his bold, unequivocal confession of the Savior's Sonship at, at Caesarea Philippi. When a, when, when, when a diverse set of opinions regarding Jesus was floating about the land, 
and he single-minded resolved not to allow anyone to harm his Savior. He was going to do everything in his power to protect this man, Jesus. Why would he deny him? In every instance, when the impending arrest of death of Jesus had come to Peter's attention, he had been both quick and forceful to say that he would not let let such a thing happen. Matthew 16, 21 and 23. And he would protect Jesus at all costs, even even at the peril of his own life, which is what happened at Gethsemane when, when the armed forces of the chief priests could could not intimidate a chief apostle when they couldn't come in there and intimidate Peter. He was ready to do battle with all of them. Read it, John 18. Now we are to believe that in the face, all of a sudden, a few minutes before, he's ready to take on a mob with a sword. And now all of a sudden, we're supposed to believe That in the face of a challenge initially put forward by a slave girl, the most unimportant person imaginable in Jewish society, we're supposed to believe that Peter denied ever knowing Jesus for fear of being exposed as a follower. Something doesn't add up. Something's not adding up, Jesus. Jesus. I need to know, Jesus. I need to know why you put this in the Word of God. I want I don't want it to be more I want it to be more than just a Sunday school story, but God, why have you put this in the Word of God? What are you telling me, God? What are you telling us, Lord? Do we really know Peter's mind and heart? Are you sure? Are you sure of Peter's motives? Do we understand the circumstances of Peter's denial as well as we think we do? Much of the criticism of Simon Peter is centered in his denial of his acquaintance with the master. This has been labeled cowardness. Are we sure of his motives in that recorded denial? He had already given up his occupation and placed all of his worldly goods on the altar for this cause. He gave up everything. Which one of you would give up your job, your house, your car right now? Which one of you would say, I'm going to give it all up right now and I'm going to do everything in my power? Is it conceivable that the omniscient, the omniscient Lord would give all these powers and keys to one who was a failure and unworthy. When he said, I'm going to give you the keys. Why would Jesus do that? If Peter was frightened in the court when he denied his accusations with the Lord, how brave was he hours earlier when he drew his sword against the overpowering enemy and the night mob? Does, this, does, does that portray a cowardness? Remember that Peter never denied the divinity of Christ. He only denied the association or the acquaintance with Christ, which is quite a different matter. 
Is it possible that there might have been more, some other reason for Peter's triple denial? Could he have felt that circumstances justified ex- expediency? When he bore a strong testimony in Philippi, he had been told by Jesus that they should tell no man that he was Jesus Christ. Read it. Matthew 16 and 20. Can you pull that up? I'm sorry, Kenneth. Brother Kenneth. Matthew 16 and 20. Then charged he his disciples. Who had disciples? Jesus had disciples. Who was the he in this? Jesus. That they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. To what then might we attribute Peter's denial? Perhaps it could be attributed to Jesus himself. To a request or a command he made that Peter should deny knowing him. Not to deny his divinity, but to deny knowing him. As the religious rebel, the Jewish leaders saw him to be. I don't know. If Brother Gurley was here right now, Brother Kilroy, they would probably really sit me down and ask me some questions. Why? Why? Why would Peter deny Jesus? Why, Landon? Why, why would Peter? Why would Peter deny Jesus? Okay, Jay, you crossed the line, son. Give me the mic. Come on, get out of here. You just wait. Whoo! You just wait till I get a hold of Brother Hughes. I am gonna. Whoo, son, you have pushed the limits. So I asked myself. If that's the case, the why in the world would Jesus ask Peter to deny him? And then out of the clear blue, God directed me to second chapter of Acts and the sermon that Peter gave. And it's my belief that Jesus asked this of Peter. To ensure Peter's safety of the chief, as the chief apostle. And to ensure the ongoing preaching of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Ghost by the twelve disciples. Could it be? I'm asking. I'm not a forensic scientist. I don't, I'm not a detective. I don't know. Why would, why would Peter's life be so strong? Be so strong. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, there's just a moment, of, a brief moment of weakness. And then it's strong again. I'm posing the question to you tonight. Brother Brown, help me out. Why would Peter, why would Peter deny Jesus? I believe that it was Jesus protecting Peter and his disciples. Some may object to, to, to that, that, that God would never command any of his children to do such a thing, but we don't, we don't know. We don't know all that goes on with God, nor do we know all that went on in this situation. Moreover, we find interesting contradictions or seeing 
are seeming contradictions in other scriptural passages that put this episode into, into thought. This could really have happened. Wasn't it God that commanded Abraham that his wife Sarah should tell the Egyptians that she was Abraham's sister so that he could protect her? Talk to me. Didn't that happen? So what was Jesus protecting here? But we cannot keep all the commandments without first knowing them. God said, thou shalt not kill. At another time, he said, thou shalt utterly destroy. What was the purpose in this charge to Peter? Remember, by the time of his arrest, Jesus was protective of his his disciples and his apostles. and, And the safety of the disciples had become a major concern for Jesus. As we have indicated in the great high priestly prayer, the Savior prayed for the safety of his apostles. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world. This is the prayer. But thou thou shalt that, that, that thou shouldest keep them from evil. John 17 and 15. When he was arrested in the garden, he said to the mob, I have told you that I'm here. I, I'm him. I'm the one. I'm the one you want. If therefore you seek me, if I'm the one you're really after, then leave these guys alone. Because y'all don't understand. My purpose is this is the church. Jesus did not want anything to happen to those who were ordained to take over the earthly leadership of the church. He had already averted wholesale slaughter in Gethsemane when first in the upper room. He restricted the two to, to two of the number of swords carried by the apostles, Luke 22, verse 38. Later, while being, being arrested, he told Peter, put away your sword, for all they that take the sword shall perish by the sword, Peter. Listen to what I'm saying, Peter. Get your eyes off your personal agenda for one moment and hear what I'm saying You've got to stay safe, Peter. It will be remembered that some of the apostles asked, Lord, shall we smite them with the sword? Luke 22 and verse 49. While Peter went ahead and lopped off the ear without waiting for an answer, Jesus was trying to protect them because he had poured himself. He had poured his agenda He had poured everything he had into these apostles and these disciples. And they had to carry on the good news because Jesus knew what he had to do. He knew, he knew that Calvary was going to take place, but he knew that this must go on. Jesus had told Peter at the Last Supper that he prayed that Peter's faith would not fail him. And it didn't. I don't believe his faith ever failed him. Peter was under fire. All the hosts of hell were against him. The die had been cast for the Savior's crucifixion. If Satan could destroy Simon now, what a victory he would score. Here was the greatest of all living men. Lucifer wanted to confuse him, frustrate him, limit his his prestige, and totally destroy Peter. However, 
This was not to be. He was chosen and ordained to a high purpose. Ordained out of heaven to carry on the calling upon this rock will I build my church. Peter, put your I know you love me, son. I know you love me, but put your personal agenda aside and see what we're after here. Matthew tells us of Peter that tells us that Peter went to the high priest's palace to see the end in Matthew twenty six. The implication is that Peter went as a witness of the last events associated with the life of this mortal Messiah. Had Peter been inclined to cowardness, it seems likely he would have never went to the palace in the first place. How grateful are we that to have Peter to have had Peter as an eyewitness of that part of the atoning sacrifice. It's apparent that Jesus knew Peter's fearlessness in defending him. He had seen several manifestations of Peter's unwavering, almost reckless commitment to prevent any physical harm to the Savior. And this was something Jesus knew could get Peter into trouble if it were not tempered. It would put the chief apostle, the rock, in grave physical danger. Therefore, is it possible? Is it possible that when Jesus told Peter he would deny him thrice before the cock crowed, that it was not a prophecy, but that it was a commandment? Help me. When Christ was taken, instead of acting impulsively, Peter did demonstrate great restraint, both in not trying to interfere in the process of Jesus' death and in protecting himself that he might live to fulfill his mission. Apparently, by Peter's obedience, he started seeing the bigger picture. How he must have wanted to wield his sword and free his Savior. How he must have desired to proclaim Jesus as the Christ to those assembled in the courtyard. Although Peter never denied the divinity of Christ, he must have been in tremendous turmoil not to be able to admit to his friendship with Jesus. Could he even have felt as if this practically constituted a denial of his friendship? Each time Peter was questioned to his association with Jesus and compelled to deny it, seemingly contradicting his own pledge of loyalty unto death, what faith? was put into the charge Christ had given him for the future. Peter was neither fearful, nor did he lack faith. The man who had fiercely struck with his sword at Gethsemane was the same man who evidenced fearless and faithful restraints 
in the courtyard of the high priest. John's telling of the count shows Peter's faith. Jesus. It's so hard right now, God, for me to deny you. You're everything that I am, God. But if this is your will, Lord, as much as it burns inside, God, I don't know who you're talking about. And you can see the frustration begin to build in Peter. I don't know who you're talking about. And then you begin to see the old sailor come out and Peter, I told you, I don't know who you're talking about. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. Some might ask, why then did Peter weep bitterly after his denial? Why did he weep bitterly? Isn't it possible that those tears were tears of frustration and bitter sorrow and the realization that he was powerless to change the Lord's fate? He didn't have the luxury of flipping over to Acts 2 and seeing how God was going to use him and seeing how God was going to use him in one sermon to reach 3,000 souls. No, he was stuck there in the courtyard being obedient. Obedient is always better than sacrifice. He had done what needed to be done. But every impulse I believe, and I truly stand on this word inside of him, was, was just thumping to prevent the suffering of his Savior. Let's stand. He had done what needed to be done, but every impulse inside him was, was just thumping. That must have been a bitter pill for Peter to swallow. He wept tears of frustration precisely because he was obedient and also because he was fully aware that he was going to lose his master to a horrible death. I got you, Jesus. It's starting to take shape. <laughs> I'm so stupid. I'm sorry, Lord, I didn't see this earlier, but I'm seeing it now, Jesus. I'm powerless right now. They're going to kill you, Jesus. And if I come out here and I say that I was one of you, I am a, I am a disciple of Jesus. They're going to kill me too in your whole purpose. Your whole purpose has been blown. That must have been a challenge of faith. It's my belief that when Peter stepped out <laughs> and preached the first sermon of the church, That his heart was pounding as he remembered how it felt when he denied Jesus. 
the misery, the lack of sleep. Desperate cry to see Jesus just once more. And that's why on this day, Peter stepped out. And I don't believe for one moment he was soft-spoken or shy. But he stood tall in front of a crowd. And he began to say in front of that crowd, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord, in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it set upon each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Ghost. <laughs> That's the conversion he was lacking. And they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave the utterance. And there, was dwelling, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now, when this was noised abroad, because they were making some noise in a small community, it got some attention. And when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, not all these... Not all these which speak Galileans. Aren't these all Galileans? And how then do we hear them in our own tongue wherein we were born? Skipping to verse 11, uh, verse 12. And, and they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These are full of new wine. And Peter, been waiting a long time had a lot of built up frustration stepped out and he said but Peter standing up with the eleven lifted up his voice and said unto them ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem be this known unto you and hearken to my words for these are not drunken as ye suppose seeing it's only the third hour of the day, seeing that it's only nine o'clock in the morning. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit and they shall prophesy and I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath blood and fire and vapor and smoke the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great notable day of the Lord comes and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you. Ye yourself also know him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. You've already taken him 
and by wicked hands have crucified and slain him whom God hath raised up having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be holden of it for David speaketh concerning him I foresaw the Lord always before my face for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad moreover also Flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Neither wilt thou suffer the Holy One to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou hast made me full of joy and my countenance, men and brethren. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you because I had to hold my tongue a while back. I'm going to freely speak to you right now. And he began to preach again. And he said, David, that he is both dead and buried and his sepulcher is with us until this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would rise up Christ, raise up Christ to sit on the throne. He's seeing this before spake in the resurrection of Christ that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, wherefore we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received the Father and the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed for this, which now see and hear. For David is not ascended unto heaven, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto the, my Lord, Sit thou on the my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made this same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, when they heard that sermon, when they heard Peter's heart being poured out, they were pricked in their own hearts and said unto Peter and to the rest of their apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? What do I have to do to get this? Then Peter said unto them, all you've got to do is repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. But hang on, it's not done yet for the promises unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord thy God shall call. And with many other words, Peter did testify and exhort saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Hope I didn't bore you tonight. What challenges is God allowing to happen in your life right now? What challenges are you facing right now that seem unbearable? Get your eyes off the surroundings. Be obedient. What does God have in store for you? Are you willing to surrender your personal will? Are you willing to surrender your personal agenda to keep 
this gospel alive. Hold fast. I know it ain't easy, but hold fast. What does the next few chapters in your book say? What does the next few chapters in your book look like? I'm excited about what God's doing for us. Why don't we come to the front?